0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA business lessons that you just can't learn in school. I am your host, Adam Kipnis. I appreciate y'all taking the time today. To, to listen in and get some great nuggets. For me, if you are looking to add new revenue, new clients to your business, but you don't want to dump a whole lot of money into marketing, please go to freebookfromadam.com. It is a, uh, a free download, eight lessons that you can implement immediately that don't cost you money and will drive direct clients. Uh, it's a quick, easy read and something that you can take action on immediately um also i these podcasts are great and and our listeners i appreciate your support if you like it definitely leave leave a comment and a rating on there obviously that helps more people hear it it's good for me it's good for my guests and um, also your comments help me understand better people to invite in the future and better lessons that i can bring to you and in business there's a lot of different ways to market there's a lot of different ways to to get your message out one of those is speaking but part of being a speaker is overall communication and having communication skills today i'm so happy to have john bates he is a communication expert he helps people make ted worthy presentations and he's got two really important stories of the my greatest successes came from my greatest failures that we will get to john i appreciate you taking the time today thanks for being here
1: you're super welcome adam it's a pleasure i've been looking forward to this for for a while now yeah we
0: we talked what uh, probably a month ago uh john and i are in a mastermind together uh with james malinchak okay. well we'll we'll give him a shout out at uh, BigMoneySpeaker.com. Yeah. Oh, dot com. James. he's I he can. is great and uh definitely follow him um Amazing nuggets that we get every time we get together. We get together three times a year uh, for two-day masterminds. And and we talked about this podcast because your story is, is so interesting in what you've learned and the chances you took um, and just the, the lessons you learned on that. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want to start with your original path. What started you on being an entrepreneur and setting your own path rather than a traditional job-based world that we live in?
1: You know, Adam, it's a great question. And I have not been asked that question maybe ever like that. And I, but I know the answer immediately. So I think it's just a brilliant question that you start that, this podcast with. So here's what happened for me. My father was the head of a big, uh, oil and gas company. He was the the head of the legal department and he worked, you know, he had been in the Marine Corps. He had been wounded in Vietnam, gotten an honorable medical discharge, you know, which made him cry because he said he'd rather take the garbage out for the Marines than be the president of the biggest company in the world. But he ended up running the legal department for, you know, after he came back and, and, uh, he got his law degree, Um, worked at a competitor, and then kept beating them. So this big, huge conglomerate bought him. And uh, it was called the Williams Company. And they wanted to do something, Adam, that was not technically illegal. They wanted to park a bunch of money in the uh, Bahamas somewhere. And um, my dad is one of the most fair, honest, loyal, wonderful guys in the world. And he said, no, this is... You know, this is absolutely against the spirit of the law. And if we ever get looked into for this, it is not going to look good for us. So we can't, you know, I'm not going to let you do this. And the company then got taken over in a hostile takeover. And after all that loyalty, my dad was a mad, crazy workaholic, Adam. And he was just so loyal and so into his job and spent every waking hour there practically and uh, they just dumped him and they screwed him out of a whole bunch of money that he should have gotten and they just you know told him hey if you want to move to Oklahoma you can take a pay cut or you're out and uh, it almost killed my dad because he well, you know, he was a big smoker because he'd been in the Marine Corps and, and, um, was not really taking great care of himself because he was just working so much. And, uh, the doctors caught it, you know, they say hours probably before he would have had a massive, just you are dead heart attack, but, uh, they, he had a triple bypass. And when he came back, you know, from that and and i watched him go into business for himself because he had been taught this amazing lesson that a job seems like security until the second it's not right like <laughs> that yeah. you could be loyal forever and they'll just let you go if they need to and that's how business goes right that's but watching that happen it's no it's no secret i think that that's the reason that both my brother and i just I mean, I said absolutely no to corporate jobs. I, there was just no way I was going to work that hard for someone else. So I actually ended up working way harder um, than I would have at a corporate job at all these entrepreneurial startups, but at least I felt like I had a much greater control of my own destiny and so that that's the story. that's what happened and And I actually feel really fortunate that I got. To watch that play out, as, as heartbreaking as it was, and as much as I would have wished better for my father, it was an important lesson for me. That is
0: a really important lesson. You were able to see the the benefits of a corporate job, obviously, with your dad having a steady paycheck and and having uh, yeah the the opportunity to to lead people within his organization. But then you saw yep. the downside of it at the same time, which led you to say, you know what? If I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do it for myself. I think the saying goes, yep. entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 hours a week. Um, yeah. oh, <laughs> and
1: believe me, the irony of that was not lost on me. Once I looked back over my life at a certain point, I was like, holy crap. You know, I thought nine to five was bad. And then what did I do? I did like six to midnight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> every
0: day and you know this podcast is the Entrepreneur's MBA it's all about those lessons that that you learn in business and you have something you call your 80 million dollar MBA which was one of your forays into the entrepreneurial world and into the startup world can you tell us a little bit about that business and what led up to that 80 million dollar MBA
1: yes I I uh, was fortunate enough to get on the internet in 1987, and I started working at dot com companies in 1994. And by 1997, or early you know, mid 1997, I had hooked up with these three other guys, and we had an idea. the 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 you know original idea was a guy named Matt. Gosh, uh, now uh, i was his last name. Matt had come up with the idea, um, and Jeff and Larry and I were on board with him, and the idea was to sell textbooks over the internet cheaper than the bookstore and deliver them quickly. So, you know, we did a lot of things right there, Adam. We we raised $80 million plus, and we, uh, you know, we did not spend it all on a Super Bowl ad or do a lot of the kind of silly things that I think were going on in those days. We were very, very Uh, uh, smart about all that stuff. And we needed a radical infrastructure to be able to deliver those books fast enough. And because none of the school bookstores would cooperate with us, we actually had a team of Russian mathematicians that were predicting, doing predictive analytics so that we would know what books to stock for the next quarter and the next semester. And so we did a bunch of things really well. And, and, you know, the game at that point, and I've talked with some of the guys who led the first round um, it was Neil Weintraut and Peter Ziebelman, And uh, they were out of a Winblad Hummer's office. They were the boutique at Winblad Hummer's. And um, you know, in, at that time, what really seemed like the way we had to do it was first mover advantage, you know? So they kept telling us, look, as long as you're growing and growing market share, don't worry about being profitable. Now don't be stupid, but don't worry about turning the corner on profitability. Just grow and grow market share. Now, We crushed that game, Adam. We were growing and growing market share like crazy. And then the market turned and all of a sudden getting money just got a whole lot harder, you know, and we probably should have seen that coming because, you know, there was, there, there was a little bit of that in the air and maybe we should have just completely hunkered down and gone into cash savings mode, but it was just, it would have, it would have just I mean, it would have been almost the same as just destroying ourselves and going out of business. So, um, you know, the other thing that we probably should have done is sell to Amazon when they were, you know, we should have gone out of our way to court that as opposed to just telling them a flat out, don't even think about it because we're going public ourselves because we're so bad, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know. So so, so, so you
0: those- so you, so you started to eat some of your own cooking in, in – um- in the, the, the most egocentric way.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, we were young and we were dumb and here's what's dumb to think that because, and you know, this leads to this, this, this is part of the, this is one of the big lessons because, you know, and so we did pretty well, right. We did a lot of things, right. Then they pulled the plug on us on October 20th of 2000. And, you know, at that point as a founder, I had no control over anything, because we'd raised 80 million dollars you know like like that we just weren't sophisticated and smart enough to have retained control of the company at that point so when they pulled the plug on us you know I got a little bit of advance warning and I got treated slightly differently but not really we all got kicked out you know we ended up across the street at the 21st amendment getting drunk and um crying about it you know with with everybody else and uh And it was awful, you know, like they just locked the doors everywhere. We didn't get a chance to send out a thank you, we love you, we're super sorry, we're going to screw you now, email or anything like that. Uh, It just was boom. On one day, off the next day, people showed up, the doors were locked, they had no idea what happened, which was really, really awful. And um, I was not sophisticated enough to get that there would be something else So I went into a corner and just cried about it and licked my wounds. And I had a sudden onset of this really gnarly, can kill you, kills a lot of people because it's so rare and and they don't know what's going on. It's called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and it's an autoimmune disease. And I almost died of this autoimmune disease soon after we lost the company. And I think it's because of the stress, and I think it's because I was not sleeping nearly enough. Which just, if I can insert a little bullet point here, there is a game that entrepreneurs play, Adam. That is the dumbest freaking game to win ever. It's that game of, so Adam, how much sleep did you get last night? Four (laughs) hours. I I only got three. Right, and I win? No, you just lost. If you are the one who's consistently getting the least sleep, you are the biggest loser. That you know, there's nobody that is super. Uh, successful in any way, shape, or form who does that for very long. Uh, You know, I've listened to a lot of success podcasts and interviews with people, and the really rich, really successful people, they get eight hours of sleep a night at least because they want to be sharp and make good decisions and make good moves versus just be there running in the wheel like a hamster 24-7, you know? Right, and
0: there's so many... So many little nuggets that you just had in there. One that that comes to mind is just if you had gotten more sleep, what could you have seen coming? How much sharper would your brain or brains have been? Uh, but but I wanted to ask two two other things re- just regarding that that story and what happened. And the first one is, it sounds like you were so in the business and getting contracts and. Shipping deadlines and predictive analysis, yeah. which honestly sounds really cool. That's a podcast probably in and it of itself. Really cool, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you didn't have the time or the foresight or the knowledge to work on the business.
1: So, in oh, hindsight, I no idea. zero idea there was even that distinction, Adam. Yeah. Wow, I, you're right. So, in, so you, yeah, you were yeah, in so into the business
0: that beyond the business didn't even occur to you.
1: Oh, are you kidding? (laughs) You know, I (laughs) still wish I would have like, had the awakening. I mean, you know, when I almost died, when I walked out of that hospital, I was a different person. And I was interested in different things. And one of the big things was I just wanted to make a difference instead of I want, you know, before that, it was like, opportunity only knocks once, I'm going to succeed, we got to do this, you know. When I walked out, it was like, I'm going to make a difference. Like, every single breath I take for the rest of my life, I am going to make a difference. I don't care about anything more. And uh, that was a vastly different approach. And all of a sudden, in the world of opportunity knocks once, that context has no room for failure. In the context of, I'm going to make a difference, period, you can fail, you can succeed, you can go up, you can go down, it doesn't matter, because you're going to make a difference, whatever you're doing, is what I said, right, I'm going to make a difference. So, my context opened up, and all of a sudden, I got super interested in things like coaching, and masterminding, and, you know, bettering myself, and gaining knowledge, and I got that I did not know everything, (laughs) like I maybe thought I did, you know, so it was a and it's funny right because i replicate my dad's experience on some level i just i was at an entrepreneurial company and uh but that near death experience just absolutely shook me to my core and woke me up to everything that has made a difference in my life since you know and i was and yet, just going
0: to I, I was yeah. just going to ask you that because you grew up in a household where your dad worked his ass off for another company he made the the right decision or the right call. And my wife um, worked in um, accounting and had to make a decision and, and lost one of her jobs because she wouldn't yeah. play in that overly yeah. gray area of, of business. Yeah. And, and it almost, and and he was then left without a job and thrown out um, of the company that he helped um, really take to the next level and then yeah. had a health challenge that, that changed his life. And you yeah. Pretty much, even taking a different path and saying, "All right, I don't want that. I'm going to go yeah. start my own thing." Ten years later, or whatever it was, you yeah. pretty much get thrown out of a company that you were building by the investors yeah. and yep. had a health challenge of your own. You know,
1: it's <laughs> really funny.
0: You know, li- life imitates art, or the other way around, or yeah. whatever that is. But yeah. looking back on that, how. You ended up in the same position and the same path your dad took, and you did it in very different ways. What does that yeah. mean to you, and how does giving back now in the way that you do, um, how is it, did, did that lead to where you are?
1: Okay, so, you know, the thing that comes up, and I don't know if this is exactly answering the question, but for me, when I look at my dad and I look at me and I look at the similarities between our paths, You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Um, And what I think that is a lot about, Adam, is I'll back into it this way. I, after going through that health challenge, and it was an autoimmune disease, and after that uh, hospital visit where I almost died, for the next several years, I needed 12, maybe 14 hours of sleep, or I would very rapidly start to regress back into the life-threatening condition. And, you know, who's going to hire me if I have to sleep 12 hours, 14 hours? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, you're supposed to be at work for longer than, than you even have. So <laughs> it was my thinking. And so um, I had to really work on getting my body back and getting my health back. And I did a lot of meditation. I meditated for several years for 20 minutes a day. And I did a lot of forgiving myself and loving myself and talking to my inner child and all kinds of stuff like that. But here's the, the big thing I see, Adam. An autoimmune disease is me beating myself up. Like that's me doing it to myself with my own body, with my own immune system, right? Right. And That is not just metaphorical. That's actually physically what's happening. So I sat down and, you know, when that occurred to me, when I realized that, I realized that I think what a lot of autoimmune diseases, you know, a lot of where they come from is people just being so hard on themselves. And I know my dad is really hard on himself. And I watched that. And I internalized that and I would beat myself up. Only I was really covert about it, you know, but I still did it. And, you know, I'll tell you, this is maybe going a little deep for the entrepreneurial MBA, but I don't think so. Actually, I would love to share with you, Adam, the the coaching that I think is at the heart of what really turned my situation around. Can I do that? Yes, please do. So here's what one of the greatest leadership coaches and trainers in the world said to me about all this stuff. Because I was, you know, this was after I had almost died, after I had lost my company. I was thinking I was going to just be a loser forever and I'm not going to be okay. And, uh, you know, what am I going to do? And I would wake up and... three in the morning with my tongue looking like Play-Doh had been pressed up against my teeth, you know, and uh, it was just awful. And I was, it was horrible. And I was talking with her about this and she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. When you go down that tunnel of I'm not good enough and beating yourself up and wondering if you're ever going to be okay. And just all that negative self, deprecating stuff, there is no light at the end of that tunnel, John. I want you to promise me that the next time you notice you're in that tunnel, whether you've been in there for five minutes, for five days, or five weeks, I want you to stop and back out. I want you to promise me you'll stop and back out whenever you notice you're in that tunnel. And I said, okay, Candace, I will, I promise And she said, here's what I want you to do instead. She said, that's going to make me cry, Adam. She said, I want you to live in the listening of the people who love you. Because who you are, John, is not who you think you are. Who you are is who they think you are. Because that's how you actually show up in the world. And Adam, I got to tell you, you know, it was not an overnight transformation and it took a lot of work, but that was the central guiding piece of coaching that brought me back from basically the brink of death. And, you know, now I'm every, I'm just more successful than I could ever have imagined I would be. And it all started with that moment when she sat me down and looked me in the eyes and made me promise. Just stop wasting my energy in that tunnel.
0: Wow! And so that's um, you know a parallel there is the working on yourself or looking at yourself from above, just like you didn't do in your business. Exactly. Exactly. Wow! That's that's a really interesting parallel. And and yeah,
1: very good. Good noticing
0: on your part. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and, and for everyone listening, obviously, tons of nuggets, and we've got a, a few more to dive into, but to to learn more about John and, and, and what he does, uh, definitely go to his website, executivespeakingsuccess.com, executivespeakingsuccess.com, or um, you could follow him on YouTube and see some of the presentations that he's done and, and some of the things that he teaches today at ExecSpeaking, so it's YouTube ExecSpeaking, and not to have make this all depressing and have another uh, story about failure before we get to your uh-huh. success, but you you had the the business and great highs and obviously lower lows that led you to yeah. uh, uncovering this something that was probably within you as as a, a health challenge anyway, and it it just found uh-huh. that time in in your low period to to appear, but then you went to tell your story and and you had the opportunity that a lot of people think is great. You had the opportunity to get on stage and do a TED Talk. And this was before TED Talks were the thing. And now, you yeah. know, people lead with, oh, I, you know, I make $6 an hour. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I make $6 an hour, but I've got a TED Talk, right? Everyone leads yeah. with TED Talks. So you had the opportunity to do that. And I'm not going to say it was as bad as losing $80 million of investor money, but it didn't go well. Tell us about that.
1: Oh, my God! Oh, you know well, so the first thing I just want to acknowledge is that I think in my entire life, Adam, the places where I've learned the most important lessons were not the times I succeeded right it's 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 the times I failed, and all these failures have finally come together in what I do now to make it so that you know I just have. A deep well of compassion for whoever it is I'm working with, right? And man, I have really failed a lot. You know, like I at TED, I got invited to uh, speak, and uh, they gave me a very short amount of time, which is typical at TED for some people. You know, like the the speeches range from about three or four minutes up to a, a maximum, maximum, maximum length of eighteen minutes, right? And, uh, so I had one of the very much shorter end and I, gosh, I mean, I was so excited and so honored to have been asked to speak at Ted because they knew me. They had, you know, I'd hung out with the woman who picked speakers for Ted and she liked me and I really liked her. We're still good friends. I've spoken at Ted after and didn't do quite as bad, but Oh, my God, I got up and I did every single thing wrong. And, you know, I wrote an article about it at com. And if you just do Inc.com, John Bates, Ted Fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not I'm super proud that that's the big, uh, you, you know, search term that will find me. But, hey, John Bates, Ted Fail, Inc. I think you'll find it. Um, you know, and, and I could tell you a thing or two that are key to what I did wrong because I think that what I have learned since then is that what makes Ted talks great makes any communication great. And anyone that's listening to this, who's speaking at an event or speaking at, uh, you know, on a panel or uh, in front of a group in any way, shape or form, man, if you take the lessons from Ted and you apply those to your, time in front of any kind of an audience, even an audience of one, it will just transform your communication. So, uh, you know, like one of the big things, and probably the number one biggest mistake that I made, and it's probably the num- one of the number one biggest mistakes that I see people make in general, is I knew I was going to be in front of this unbelievable audience. They're super powerful. They can make things happen. You know, look what they did for Simon Sinek, right, et cetera. So I wanted something from that. Big mistake. Big mistake. I went in and did it on some level for me, not for the audience. And the reason Simon Sinek's talk about Start With Why has gone so incredibly viral or Brene Brown or any of the people that are madly, wildly viral on, on TED is because they didn't do it for themselves. They absolutely, genuinely, I've hung out with Simon Sinek, I've talked to him about this, Uh, genuinely did it for the audience. They were there to serve the audience, not themselves. And man, if you took that one lesson as an entrepreneur, and you made every time you got up on stage an opportunity to serve your audience versus serving yourself, I think you would be Vastly more successful. I know I have been, you know, <laughs> right. And 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 that's what you do today. I mean,
0: you make people's communications TED worthy. And yeah, obviously one one bullet or one lesson uh, of being TED worthy is is make it about the audience. I, I was having a conversation with uh, another speaker, friend of mine, on you know why why do speakers Fail like why don't they grab their audience and and one of the things we came up with was if you look at Les Brown Les Brown is probably one of the most well known and certainly one of the more highest Absolutely. highest paid um, yeah. motivational speakers and like Les Brown you know, he's unbelievable if you haven't seen him YouTube Les Brown we're not I'm oh, not okay. here to, to to pimp him yeah. but um, definitely oh, go on YouTube and look at Les Brown but Les Brown became a motivational speaker because. He said motivational things.
1: Today, yeah.
0: people want to be motivational speakers, and so they speak and hope it's motivational. So so it's a, coming yeah. from a different standpoint. And and being ted is about that. It's not about being a speaker so people like you. It's saying what it is that helps people and people gravitate. Yeah. So how do you help? People in business, whether they're whether they're talking to their teams, because I know you work for a number of Fortune 500 companies with executives that are talking to their teams, whether those are five people or thousands of people at at Johnson and Johnson and NASA and some other places that you've been or someone on stage. How do you get that message out or how do you get that
1: across to them? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Adam, because I think that our conversation is hopefully a little bit of a model for that in some ways. And I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, so I worked with, um, you know, I, I I can't say their name in a public sphere like this. I can tell you, and, and, and you can probably guess who it is, but I worked with a very, very large manufacturing company. On their global summit a little while ago, and um, you know, I mean, they're Fortune top fifteen, no problem. And um, but because of the laws, you know, and the, the, all the stuff, I can't say I worked with them publicly, but I can get you a reference from them. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the the so, so couple things that are interesting about this t- to me, I think the things, some of the key takeaways, they were all giving. or 11-minute TED-like talks at this global summit. And they brought me in to work with about 12 or 15, I forget, of of the division leaders, right? So the absolute top people at this global manufacturing, like really high-tech manufacturing company. And so we worked May, June, July, August, September in their – hometown, then we met again in September at Half Moon Bay where this amazing event was and we worked there in person the day before they spoke and then I got to watch them all speak. And Now, the bottom line is this was a summit where they wanted to speak to their clients and they wanted their clients to come to these breakout sessions and have discussions with them and tell them what was working and what wasn't working and just all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the thing, I met the woman who was in charge of it that I had been working with and she said, John, this was the best event by far of my entire career here at this big company of, you know, 25 years plus. This was the best event of my life. And I said, well, gosh, I would be really stoked if I was even a little part of that. Congratulations. That's awesome. And she said, oh, no, no, you were a big part of it. So, no, that's a huge compliment, and I get that. But that's not the reason I'm telling you this story. I had to sit down and freaking figure out why this keeps happening, because this was probably the biggest event that I had been this deeply involved with yet. And that was probably... One of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten in my life. So I wanted to be able to articulate it. So here's what happened when we w- got together and worked over those five plus months with these top executives. In the beginning, they all wanted to get up, and in one way or another, in fact, a lot of them just said it flat out I, I need to get up and I want to start out by establishing my credibility. And I said, Well, okay, look, I know that if you've got numbers or letters after your name, your credibility is already assumed. MD, PhD, CPA, people walk in, they assume you're credible. You have letters after your name. And if you've got a card that says VP of this company, and you're on stage, like, come on. I think people don't realize how often they walk out and their credibility is already assumed. So for sure it was at this event. And I said, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to start with a personal story, and it's going to, explain something about who you are and how you think and what matters to you. And it's going to include a little bit of vulnerability, maybe something you screwed up when you were younger, or we're going to at least show a picture of you when you were in your 20s and you're wearing those goofy clothes, right? Something that's going to humanize you and make a connection with the audience versus standing up and trying to establish your credibility and pushing everybody away. Right. And, one of the hardest things for me, Adam, with with people in business is to get them to understand, and this sounds so trite, but it is so powerful, the power of a personal story. Now, it needs to be well told. It needs to have certain elements that people can connect with, right? Like, you know, Les Brown, one of, you know, we have our love of him in common. He says, people don't connect with your successes. They connect with your messes. Your message is in your mess. And that's why I am happy to get on this, this podcast with you and talk about what a freaking gigantic failure I am, because it's where I learned everything. And I, I have learned over time that even though I feel scared, to get on here and admit yet again that I blew my first Ted talk. I lost $80 million. (laughs) I thought I was going to be a failure forever. Heck, maybe I still will be. I don't know. Like, you know, that stuff's really scary for me to do, but after doing it over and over, I've seen the impact it has for people. And I'm willing to get up and talk about that stuff and feel the discomfort because of the difference it makes. And I promised my life to make a difference. So, that's what I'm what I talk about. Does that make sense? That
0: that totally makes sense. And I love that uh, you talked earlier about giving back. And I love that you just gave a five minute TED Talks blueprint that everyone here can then implement not only in them speaking on stage, but if if they're talking to an audience in ter- in front of their company, or if they're talking to a new prospect and they're selling one-on-one, you just gave the blueprint. Yep. So everyone here, um, John charges uh, $5,000 probably for that to go into greater <laughs> detail, but but you have yeah. the blueprint of where to start and it's your, your mess is your message or your mess leads to your success. And yep. super powerful and probably something uh, that, I need to do in an upcoming podcast is tell people my story. Why the hell am I doing this? Um, right. Part of it's yeah, credibility. And, and I want that, but there's a deeper reason why I chose to to use this format to, to learn from you so I can fix my own crap.
1: Yeah. Well, and listen, that is a story that I am going to say I would love to hear. And I bet everybody listening to this podcast would love to hear, especially Adam, when you tell that story, here's a few more little secret nuggets here, right? Tell us about your failure. Uh, Tell us, uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about how they failed, they don't talk about how awful it felt or how scared they were or, you know, unhappy with themselves they were because they kind of want to gloss over it. No, 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 man. Take us to the depths with you so that when you come back out of that, We get how deep and awful it was. And then the lesson that you learned is going to resonate with us much more fully, and we will take it on board much more fully. And, you know, this is a key concept of leadership because it's easy to be a leader at the buffet table, right? Oh, hey, look at the big buffet. Follow me. I'll go first, right? Okay. Thanks a lot, right? That doesn't make a difference. That's not when leadership makes a difference. When leadership makes a difference is when nobody else wants to do it because they're scared and yet it's worth doing so you go first. And when you tell your failure first and what you learned, very important, what you learned, and it's got to be some good information, everybody else wants to go second or third or fourth, you know, right? Like, that's a great conversation. It's just who's ever going to start that?
0: Right. And um, I, I will tease this future episode right here. So it was, uh, for those of you listening, w- this will be published probably in a week. And, and my last episode from the other day will be published before it. And it's called The Entrepreneur's Dilemma. And I decided I was going to do the podcast and I was going to do a Facebook Live at the same time. And, you know, two different mediums, two different audiences. And, um, I, you know, I figured this is I'm a genius. Um, two birds, one stone. And, um, like like I'm the one who just thought of that. Right. And, Uh, and and so I'm doing it, but then a friend of mine started typing a message on Facebook and I lost my train of thought and I was trying to read the message. And then I actually, I think read part of the message out loud, which was a little bit weird to the audience. And is going to probably be even weirder on the podcast. And then one of my good friends called me up and said, you said so 15 times.
1: So that was my
0: that was my um in that. And uh, my college roommate, um, who I haven't talked to in a while, whenever I'm in New York City, we get together and we're good friends, but we don't run in the same circles day to day. And he sent me a message and he downloaded my, my book. Um, and he's super successful. I've got a whole story about how I should have just followed him to D.C., in 1995, and started an internet company that made him millions. And um, so there, there's a lot to unpack there. So I will get to that in, yeah. in, a, in a future story. But I'm, I'm in the middle of living it because this was two days ago and I'm still getting messages. And so and I appreciate that, right? It, it's thinking about what it is that made us who we are and not being yeah. afraid to share it. And yeah. part of what you're telling us is. The sharing it is what makes whatever the underlying message is, even if it's, hey, clean up your desk because we need a more clean workspace. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the message you're trying to get across, but it's getting grounded and not being able to go trick-or-treating because you didn't clean your room as a kid, <laughs> yeah. right? people will, yeah. will relate to it. Sure. So I, I want to wrap up with a, a, a question. You have had the opportunity to... to Speak to and coach astronauts in NASA, and and you told me aside from the eighty million dollar MBA, one of the biggest lessons you learned in business you got from working with NASA, which doesn't necessarily um, translate all that easily, probably in people's brains. Tell us about that. Okay,
1: so this is a this is a great. I think this is just a great lesson, and it's especially again Adam for your listeners who are entrepreneurs who are running their own show doing their own thing working really hard moving really fast you know I love entrepreneurs by the way I just I don't know I don't think I said that yet but I think entrepreneurs are the future and we're actually working on a documentary about co-working spaces and entrepreneurs all over the world we've been to India China Finland, Estonia, all over America. It's been absolutely amazing. So I am a wild fan of your audience. And uh, so when I was, I, you know, I got to do, a tra- I've done a lot of training for NASA. And, uh, I, you know, most recently I just got to train the entire active astronaut corps. Um, and, but this lesson came to me at, at an earlier training. It's where I first met the astronauts that then brought me in to to train this December. And it was at the Astronaut Beach House, which a lot of people don't know about, but there is one beach house left on that whole beach in Florida, Cape Canaveral. <laughs> they left one house there, and that's where the astronauts go right before they go on their missions with their family and the other astronauts and their families, and they all have a barbecue and hang out on the beach for the day. So it's, a, it's you know, it's hallowed ground. It's a sacred place. It's where some people It was the last time they saw their families, you know. So it was just an unbelievable day. And at the end of my training, a couple of of the astronauts walked over, Mike and Mike, and they said, John, would you like to know what the final test to become an astronaut is? Well, okay. You know, that's a dumb question. (laughs) Of course I do, right? I was like, yes. And they said, well, okay, we think this will fit with your training. Um, and I said, great, so, so, so tell me. And they said, all right, well, to become an astronaut, you know, you got to pass a lot of tests and physicals and all this kind of stuff. So you end up with this big binder of all of the things that you have passed, all the tests you've passed, all the things you've done to qualify. And for the final test, they invite you up to the conference room and I've been there. It's cool. It's got all the mission patches and the pictures and a gigantic conference table. And so, you know, you, you walk up there and you knock on the door with your, with your binder. And they open the door. And they're sitting around the big, huge conference table are all the other astronauts. And they take your big binder of accomplishments and they toss it on a side table. And they invite you to come over and sit down. And you just sit there for about an hour and just talk with the other astronauts that you want to join and after about an hour they say okay well listen you know time's up we, we you know and they give you your binder back and show you to the door and once the door closes and you've walked out of the room they all sit there and talk about do they like you and even more importantly do they think you are like a bull because you are going to be crammed into the space station, not just with them, but you're going to be crammed into the space station with all these other astronauts from all these other countries all around the world. And you're going to be representing the United States. And if you are not just an absolutely great person to hang out with, you're not going to be an astronaut.
0: <laughs> so that's a Isn't really... That hilarious. <laughs> I don't really know how to think about that other than, well, it makes sense, right? If you suck to be around, no one's going to want to spend six months in space with you. But with all the skill and all the technical knowledge and, and uh, the learning and probably a bit of science dork in some of these people when they were in school, all of that is great. But the final thing is do people like you? Are you
1: likable? That's it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> can I translate
1: the lesson for you, Adam, for, like, I think it's obvious, but I would like to state it because one of the things that I always tell people when they're speaking is don't assume people will get your point. Tell them your point so they for sure get your <laughs> point, you know? Right. So, yes, definitely. So I'll follow my own advice. And so here's the point for me. As an entrepreneur – I think of being an entrepreneur. I mean, my experience anyway, it's been a little bit more like being on a submarine that's maybe gone a little bit too deep. You know, the rivets are popping and there's water spraying and somebody's got to go turn that, that, you know, handle to stop this water and the red lights on. And it's like, you know, be quiet. So our competitors don't find out, you know, it's like being a little too deep on a submarine. That's my metaphor. And, At depths like that, in an entrepreneurial business, jerks go from just being mildly toxic to being highly, incredibly, unbelievably corrosively toxic. And if it is good enough for the NASA astronauts, it's good enough for me. I think that one of the most fundamental hiring points is after they passed all the other tests of do they understand this, can they do this, do they have the skill set, do they have some experience and blah, 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 all the things you need like that. The final test for me, if anybody's going to work at my companies anymore, is definitely going to be are they likable, period. Because if they're not, that reflects so badly on me out there in the community. You know, like venture capital people don't invest in jerks. They want to invest in somebody that's going to reflect well on them. They've got money. They can invest in anybody. They're not going to invest in a jerk. I've talked to a lot of people, done a lot of interviews with venture capital folks. And it's one of the things that seemed, I I, I couldn't believe that at first. But man, the more I talk to people, the more they're like, look, why would I put my reputation on the line? They're going to go to the parties where I am and they're going to be like representing me on some level. And if they're a jerk, why would I do that?
0: so the, and having a pleasing personality is how napoleon hill put it in his yep. 17 principles of success are yep. you likable is how nasa talks about it in, in the real world you look at um i believe his name's travis kalamecker what from uber yep. who yep was very likable but through his success and becoming a billionaire became extremely unlikable to the point where his board said, no one likes you. Forget about You're what out. you've done for this company. No one likes you anymore, and we want to bring in somebody that people will follow because you've lost your audience. That's so that translates across the board.
1: Right. Yep, 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 yep. It's fascinating. It. I mean, there you go, right? The guy's probably a billionaire on some level and or close, and he still got tossed out because he became unlikable.
0: So to, to recap the last 45 minutes or so, and we could do this all day. Um, and so we, we might have to revisit this, especially after, um, you know, I, I throw my baggage out into the world and, and ask yeah. for feedback on it. Um, you know, you learned one on the business versus in the business is a huge thing to keep in in your head and to, and to think about and then to work yeah. on yourself as well and know that if you overstress your body or overstress your life the short-term gain probably isn't worth the long-term pain
1: that's right no yeah you're killing yourself you're, you're killing you're yourself slowly
0: killing for the benefit yourself. of nobody yeah. exactly. and when you're presenting Give of yourself. Tell tell your story. I yeah. think you said your mess is your yep. message because it makes you real. And yep. to tie it all together, and, and be yours. likable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well done,
1: Adam. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so hopefully everyone takes notes. That's what I got out of it. I'm sure there's a ton more when I listen to it again that we can unpack. John, really appreciate um, your time, your knowledge, your your stories, um, and the blueprint for, you know, presenting to whomever, whether it's a client or whether it's on stage. Um, definitely check out John on YouTube, ExecSpeaking and Executivespeakingsuccess.com. Thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome, Adam. It's a real pleasure. I, I Like I said, I was looking forward to this for a long time. It's, you're a great guy in person, and I was really thrilled to do this with you. Thank you. You're
0: very welcome. Look forward to talking with you again. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Until next time.
1: You've been listening
0: to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com.